Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan here in Victoria, BC. In this program, we all discover jazz old and new together. We'll listen to a wide variety of jazz styles and I'll present different topics, giving ideas as to what we can listen for to enhance our experience. Thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters for hosting this podcast. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. Today's episode is all about absolute pitch sometimes inaccurately called perfect pitch, but actually, there's nothing perfect about it. But don't let me digress. I'll start by defining perfect or absolute pitch. It's simply the ability to identify or recreate a given musical note without the benefit of a reference tone. In other words, if out of the blue I asked you to suddenly sing a B-flat, you could do it. Only about 1 in 10,000 people are said to have it, and it's generally considered something you're born with, or at least learned at a very early age. It's not something you can learn to have as an adult, despite certain online courses that claim to teach absolute pitch. Our understanding of absolute pitch is very limited, and almost anything said about it ends up being controversial, including everything I've just said. One thing that isn't controversial is the fact that you don't have to have absolute pitch in order to be a great musician or a great singer. Neither is having it going to make you one. Today, I'll play some recordings by people with perfect pitch and talk more about it. A lot of people who are stated to have absolute pitch actually don't, many by their own admission, once they understand what it is. Here's somebody who does have it. New York trombonist and composer Ryan Keberly. Here he is with his group that he calls Catharsis from 2017, Become the Water. Why don't we hear? 
Let's move from Ryan Kepperly to Bing Crosby. Bing was known for his perfect pitch, and there's a story about him falling asleep on a train and it being noted that he was snoring in tune to the train whistles, which, by the way, may have nothing to do with absolute or perfect pitch. As well, jazz pianist Joe Sullivan had it. He came from a musical family, and his older siblings found delight in their baby brother's perfect pitch, as well as in his unusual quickness in learning music. Here, the two of them are brought together. Bing Crosby with George Stahl's instrumental trio with Joe Sullivan on piano from 1935, a Hoagie Carmichael tune called Moonburn. One of the things I like about this recording is that towards the end, Bing's voice starts to crack on a couple notes, and it makes him sound kind of soulful. Not a word you usually associate with Bing Crosby. Two people with absolute pitch playing together. Bing Crosby and Joe Sullivan. Now if you think that I'm looking somewhat tanner, don't go blaming it on the sun. It's the moonlight and the sweetness in your manner That's making me the healthy one When the moon hangs low I begin to glow And my day has just begun I'm gonna get a moonburn When I'm with you tonight so very soon I'll moonburn When you hold me tight I'll ask the glowing stars up above me What your lips will impart And when they flash the word that you love me You know it's gonna warm my heart I'll get a brand new moonburn With every kiss from you, and if I have my way, get my say, you'll get a moonburn too. Get my way, get my say, 
You'll get a moon bird to keep undercover. You'll get a moon bird to hoo Let me try to help you understand more of what perfect or absolute pitch really is. Here's a very popular video made by educator and musician Rick Beato demonstrating his young son Dylan's absolute pitch. Okay, Dylan, we're going to do the hardest ear training test of all time. Are you ready? Ready. <laughs> all right, turn around. Here we go. As fast as you can. We're going to start with single notes, and we're going to do some intervals, then chords. Okay, here we go. A, C sharp, B flat, C, B, A flat. Okay, good. Two notes at once. Here we go. C flat. Great. How about this? B flat A. Great. What about this? E flat A flat. Great. What about this? Um, C B flat. And then how about this? E flat. What is it? E E flat. Correct. Okay, I'm gonna do some polychords for you. These are really gonna be hard. You ready? What's this? C augmento for D flat. Okay, sing a B flat. Very good. What's this chord? Uh, a flat. Oh, A flat major over A major. Great. Sing an F sharp. Excellent. What's this chord? A minor over D flat major. Great. What's this chord? Excellent. That kid, Dylan, could very well have been me when I was about four or five. I could do all those things, and my parents would parade this skill to any visitor. I would identify complex chords, but I'd hear them as a collection of individual notes. I thought I was pretty special, a natural musician. I didn't have to practice. Unfortunately, it didn't work. And only recently have I realized that I need to practice 60 years later. Perfect pitch by itself doesn't turn us into a better musician. Hearing those absolute notes led me to not needing to develop what they call relative pitch, the ability to focus on the relationship between the notes. I did to some degree, but rather than thinking, okay, now I need to play the chord three above the one I just played, I'd think in absolutes. Okay, that was an A. Next, I play a C. As well, I found it almost impossible to play a guitar with a capo. Uh, I'd be playing a G chord, but if the capo was, say, on the second fret, which took it up a tone, I'd hear an A. So then, instead of playing the correct chord next, a C, for instance, I'd play the position for the sound I heard, which would be a D. And out would come an E. It would get so confusing. But absolute pitch does have its advantages. Keith Jarrett, who, who has that faculty, gives great description of how he makes his absolute pitch work for him to expand his creativity. In a 2009 interview in Atlantic Magazine, he talked about how knowing exactly what he's about to play is going to sound like, how that has led him to decide to not play something. He stated... If my hands are in a certain position at the keyboard, keyboard, I don't play in that position, especially if I've already thought about what that sound is going to be. I just move my hand away from it and say, do something. Do 
you are listening to something that Keith Jarrett recorded around that time. It's a duet album with bassist Charlie Hayden, and the tune is Every Time You Say Goodbye. Keith Jarrett. Another pianist who made great use of his absolute pitch was Oscar Peterson. Jack Batten's 2012 book about Peterson called The Man and His Jazz describes how Oscar's gifts, such as perfect pitch and an infallible musical memory, set him apart from his siblings who had to work much harder for musical prowess. 
note that he refers to Peterson's perfect or absolute pitch and his infallible musical memory as if they were two different things. That's because they are. Even though perfect or absolute pitch has sometimes been nicknamed perfect memory, it's not a memory of specific notes or chords forming a pattern, uh, but rather a memory of the pitch of a certain note. Some people with perfect pitch may not have a great memory for melodies and chords. And many artists without perfect pitch do. They, they can reproduce a melody after only hearing it once. Again, that's very different from perfect or absolute pitch. It's really hard to say how Peterson's absolute pitch influenced his playing. Instead of thinking of it as a skill, it would be more accurate to call it a faculty, one we either have or don't. Now, Peterson's skill was that ability to improvise equally well in the left hand and the right hand and to do some of it simultaneously. But we're actually fortunate in that Peterson, in a 1961 interview with Studs Terkel, did give a beautiful illustration as to how he used his absolute pitch to enhance his music. He played Terkel part of a Chopin nocturne in E-flat and said, Now those incorrect harmonies right there. It's not written that way. I realize this, but this is the way I hear things. From a child, a very interesting experience was discovering that I had what they term absolute pitch, and upon learning of this, I found out that when I hear certain chords, I hear notes over and above them. For instance, if I hit a plain C chord, and he played that chord, and someone else with relative pitch heard that chord, they would they would think C, E, and G. In the interview, Peter Peterson had played the C, E, and G. Well, when I hear that, I hear a different harmony. I hear that, but I hear what we would call extensions. I hear this. At that point of the interview, well, Peterson played a very different and unusual chord. Now, I wish I could find an audio transcript of the interview so that I could illustrate it, or even a listenable recording of Oscar Peterson playing some Chopin. I did find his version, though, of another classical composition with which many of us who took piano lessons might be familiar. It's his rendition from 1951 of Brahms' Hungarian Dance Number no. 5. You can give a listen to the way that he creates new chords here and while today, most jazz artists, who, who generally don't have perfect pitch, do a lot of that reharmonization, for Peterson, his perfect pitch made it so much easier. He could hear a lot of different individual notes that he could throw in there, rather than being so rooted to the next notes that would be part of a traditional harmony. Let's hear it.
Oscar Peterson with some very different chord progressions on Brahms' Hungarian dance, innovations that he credits at least in part to his absolute or perfect pitch, allowing him to hear extensions of the normal chords. I'll talk more about perfect or absolute pitch, but first... I want to play a singer who has talked about and demonstrated that ability. I had heard of him, but this is the first time I actually listened to him. Some incredibly accurate singing, probably helped by his absolute pitch, but I do want to emphasize that absolute pitch does not keep a person from singing flat and ensure that they sing right on pitch. There are a number of factors contributing to that. Here is Done For Me. The Jazz Version by Charlie Puth. What you thinking? You think that you could be better off with somebody new? No, 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 baby, no. You say you're leaving. Well, if you want to leave, there ain't nobody stopping you. Charlie Puth. Rick Beato, the father of young Dylan, who we heard earlier demonstrating a remarkable ability to identify any note or chord played, has a number of videos on perfect pitch, and they are all interesting. And my own experience with perfect pitch uh, very much resonates with what Beato says. While it has been said that it's something one's born with, and there's a lot of truth to that, Beato also talks about the learning component, and much of what he says is supported by Oliver Sacks in his book, Musicophilia. Beato, spelled B-E-A-T-O, talks about a gene that has been discovered that is being referred to as the perfect pitch gene, RS3057. This supports the from-birth theory of absolute pitch. However, 
he also has learned that 31.9% of Caucasians and 50% of Asians have that gene, yet only 1 in 10,000 people have demonstrated having absolute pitch. So how is that? And uh, why so many more Asians? Well, in answer to the latter, the Asian language requires pitch discrimination to distinguish one word from another. So they are more attuned right from a young age to those pitch fluctuations. So there's certainly some learning there. And it may be that there are more than one in 10,000 who have absolute pitch, but if they aren't exposed to a lot of music or taught the names of the notes, they may never know. It takes exposure to music at a young age, and the language you are taught with affects your own perception. If you are taught, for example, the notes of the keyboard using a slightly out-of-tune piano, as I was, then... Uh, One's perception of an A might not be 440 hertz. It might be 442 or 438. Different enharmonics is a matter of tuning, not of absolute pitch. People with absolute pitch can still be out of tune. So yes, there's definitely a learning component. But there was also a study that showed that there are differences in the brains of people with absolute pitch versus those without it. Uh, this is a 1995 paper that, uh, that, that showed that there are certain structures in the brain, uh, structures that are important for the perception of speech and music that were different for people who had absolute pitch. Now, of course, correlation doesn't mean causation. And whether the brain differences cause the absolute pitch or whether having absolute pitch affects the neuroplasticity of the brain, who knows? But Rick Beato and Oliver Sacks both seem pretty definite that some people are born with absolute pitch. Others claim that everybody's born with it. All babies have it, but all agree that if it isn't nurtured from a very young age, usually before the age of six, then it gets lost. All right, let's get back to some music created by some of those babies whose absolute pitch was nurtured so that they now have it in adulthood. Paul Schaefer is one person who is cited in a number of articles on perfect pitch as having it yet. In biographical information about him, there's no mention of it. Uh, so... Uh, I'm not sure, but I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt and keep Paul Schaefer on the list for now of people with absolute pitch. Here he is with a guitarist named Gil Paris from 2010, Duck Walk.
Canadian-born keyboardist Paul Schaefer with guitarist Gil Paris and Duck Walk. One can't really tell by listening to them whether musicians, including singers, have absolute pitch. One vocalist who did for sure was Ella Fitzgerald, and there are many stories about how orchestras would end up tuning to her voice, and some evidence has been cited by the fact that she sang so accurately, many claiming to have never heard her sing out of tune. That may be true, but the latter really isn't any evidence of absolute pitch. But functioning as a vocal tuning fork, on the other hand, certainly might be. Here she is with someone to watch over me, Ella Fitzgerald. There's a saying old says that love is blind Still we're often told seek and ye shall find So I'm going to seek a certain lad I've had in mind Looking everywhere haven't found him yet He's a big affair I cannot forget only man I ever think of with regret I'd like to add his initial to my monogram Tell me where is the shepherd for this lost land There's a somebody I'm longing to see I hope that he turns out to be Someone who'll watch over me
the great Ella Fitzgerald. The king of stride piano, James P. Johnson, was known to have absolute pitch. He used it to his advantage, stating, I was getting around town and hearing everybody. If they had something I didn't have, I stole it. I was born with absolute pitch and could catch a key that a player was using and copy it. The other musicians on this next tune may not have had absolute pitch, but they certainly had great relative pitch, as they all sound so in tune. Sidney D. Parry on trumpet, Vic Dickinson trombone, Ben Webster on tenor sax, Jimmy Shirley guitar, John Simmons bass, and even the drummer, Sidney Catlett, sounds tuneful. After you've gone... Blue Note Records, 1944, featuring James P. Johnson and his Blue Note Jasmine.
thing about having absolute pitch is that you become dependent on it. One person posting onto a Reddit post about perfect pitch and went by the name of Pitchy Pitch said, people with perfect pitch very often personify the ability to the point where it becomes like a close friend. We develop a profound intimacy with it. It's been with us our whole lives. It brings us joy and sometimes misery. It seems to make us special. The real point is that the relationship they develop with the notes is real. Uh, They're able to genuinely feel this closeness, this intimacy with music on the most granular scale. It is the love a mother has for every freckle on her baby's tummy. No, obviously notes don't have colors, but they do all have memories, associations, and deep, deep feelings. So it's understandable what happened to vibraphonist Gary Burton. After his last heart operation, he discovered that his perfect pitch was gone. Because of that, plus other health issues, he decided to retire. So why would losing his perfect pitch or absolute pitch be so traumatic? Well, speaking from personal experience, I can say that when many players with absolute pitch... uh, begin losing it, whether it's from age or other problems, their general sense of pitch becomes confusing to them. Gary Burton had a final tour in 2017 with Japanese pianist Makoto Ozone, which ended at the Jazz Kitchen in Indianapolis, just 40 miles away from Burton's hometown. Here's a track from that tour and collaboration. It's called Tango. Gary Burton and Makoto Ozone.
My own absolute pitch disappeared very suddenly one day. One day it was there, and the next day it was gone. It's like knowing all your life what what red looked like. Then one day, everything reddish or orangish suddenly turns blue. I was in a choir and couldn't understand why they changed the key of that song we had been rehearsing. I think I may have embarrassed myself, but, but it hadn't changed. I had. Losing your absolute pitch is like losing an old friend, and I found that my whole very close relationship with musical notes changed, and it wasn't so close anymore. But some people really do lose perfect pitch with age. Oliver Sacks described that in one of his books, where one of his subjects found that their pitch shifted one and one quarter tones. Well, I'm in my 70s now, and that's what happened to me is about 10 years ago. Someone will play a G, and I'll think it's an A or a B flat. I was very dependent on my perfect pitch and haven't developed great relative pitch. Now I need to develop that, and it's a challenge. I wish I had developed it as a kid. The two types of pitches, perfect and relative, are totally independent. If you have perfect pitch, you still need to develop relative pitch. Relative pitch has to do with being able to identify the intervals between notes or chords. and Think of the music in terms of those intervals rather than in terms of the names of the individual notes. One final piece of music, a ladysmith musician who has absolute pitch and still has it too, Adrian Dolan. Let's hear from him. From about the age of nine, uh, I've been aware of having a fairly heightened sense of pitch. I don't really like the term perfect pitch. I never really have. I don't feel like there's anything particularly perfect about it, but I do have a very strong memory uh, for pitch, and it's usually associated with an instrument. Uh, it wasn't until I started playing music, obviously, that I figured this out. I would uh, recognize pitches on the piano. People would play them and uh, sort of test me when I was quite young, and I did pretty well. What I find maybe helps me the most uh, with having a heightened sense of pitch is the arranging work and composing work I do. I'm often working away from an instrument, uh, just working with, with a page and with pen and paper in front of me. I definitely call on my sense of pitch a lot to hear instrumental parts as I'm writing them and hear actual pitches on the instruments that I'm writing for and that I'm thinking of. So it is definitely a, a big part of arranging, especially for orchestral instruments and bigger ensembles, uh, to know what each instrument sounds like in the lower range and in the upper range and in their, their sort of comfortable middle range. Um, and definitely being able to recall the sound of a specific instrument, that part of my memory that is also attached to the, the actual true pitch of it, I think is a, is a big advantage there. A lot of people assume that I'm really intolerant and horrified by out-of-tune singing or out-of-tune playing. And uh, I wouldn't say I am at all. I'm, I'm, I definitely play and sing out of tune at various times uh, to varying degrees. And in a time where a lot of vocals that we hear on the radio and on recorded albums have been really, really heavily processed and the pitch has been pretty much beaten into submission digitally, uh, I'd actually much rather listen to a more human, uh, compelling performance that had some flaws and had a little bit of funkiness to it. Adrian Dolan, who is part of the group The Bills, may not be known as a jazz artist, but he does play jazz, and he's a great improviser on violin, piano, accordion, and most any stringed instrument, as well as being a much-in-demand recording engineer, producer, and composer. 
I'll end off with him uh, doing some solo fiddle here. Um, he also intentionally here demonstrates something very typical of people with perfect pitches right after opening his violin case. He notices that, notices that the tuning is down a tone. Somebody without perfect pitch probably wouldn't notice that. Finishing off with Dance for a New Beginning, played by Adrian Dolan, written by Oliver Schroer. You've been listening to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Shadman. Bye for now. I opened up my fiddle case, and it was in this tuning, so <laughs> it's lower than usual. But some fiddle music is written in alternate tuning. Sometimes yeah. the strings are, two of them are brought down a whole tone. It happens that the whole thing was down a whole tone, which they use in Cajun music and uh, a lot of Appalachian stuff. But I'm going to do a, a new time Canadian tune. I remember that's in this tuning but not in that vein at all. Thank you.